What's good, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the I'm Until Like It Like It T.I. Is podcast with your host, yours truly, Jai Shields, here on this Tuesday, November the 15th, the year 2022. Lots to do, lots to talk about on this midweek program. Of course, the Week 10 recap uh, and all the with all the uh, fixings. Uh, we will lead off here to begin the show because the game was so damn good it deserves its own uh, segment with the uh, Bills and the Vikings. We'll lead off with that first. But everything else, Week 10, the Bucks improving to 5-5, five and five, beating the uh, Seahawks in Germany. Uh, the Broncos are still trash. The uh, Bears, albeit they're able to put the ball in the end zone and scoring a whole hell of a lot of points over the last three, four games. They're not winning many of them. We'll get into that. We'll get into why, uh, or I'll ask the question, why is Josh McDaniel still employed by the, uh, is, uh, is, uh, why Josh McDaniels is still employed by the Oakland, uh, by the Oakland Raiders, or the Vegas Raiders, excuse me, 49ers edging out the Chargers, Eagles no longer undefeated, and we'll also, because we got a, a decent, uh, we also got a, a decent, uh, uh, Thursday night game tonight between the uh, Tennessee Titans, or not tonight, but on Thursday, uh, between the Tennessee Titans and the uh, Green Bay Packers over at Lambeau Field. So we got lots to do here on this uh, on this show here for you today. Where we will begin is with one of the more be hands down, folks. It's the best football. It was it was the best NFL game of this of the twenty twenty two uh, of the twenty twenty two NFL season. I mean, it, if you think not, I mean, you go get your head examined. I mean, that was that hands down, hands down, without without debate without conflict that was the best game of the 2022 NFL season through the first 10 weeks it's the best game best game you know uh, the you can now you can quibble you can argue you can uh debate uh, what game is number two is it Broncos Seahawks Monday night you know back week back in week one you can debate was it uh is it Steelers Bengals week one uh at the jungle that crazy game that went into overtime you can give me um you know you can you can give me Arizona and the Raiders with the Raiders collapsing you can give me you can you can you can give me uh uh, um, you can give me Buffalo and the Ravens in the rain, or uh, or or uh, you know you can you can debate. I think number I think the ones that you can flip a coin at number two is Bengals Steelers week one and Broncos Seahawks week one. Outside of games like that, you know it'd be hard pressed for you to find uh, a football game that was able to top that. Raiders and Chiefs was a good game at Arrowhead on Monday night, but that game was. 
marred by piss poor officiating to such an extreme that 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 you that it yet you gotta throw it out because that that you gotta throw it out because the officiating was just so bad in the game where it left the where after the game was over it left such a horrendous tasting in mouth that was it was it, it was like ugh, it was a good game but it was like at what cost so you, so me personally I'm not gonna count that one the two bet the other two best games Steelers Bengals week one. Uh, in the jungle overtime, missed field goals left and right, bad snaps. Bengals come back to uh, should have won the game, but of course come all the way back after Joe Burrow threw four interceptions in the game, including the pick six uh, in the first quarter. And then, of course, the day later on the Monday night, Russell Wilson's return to Seattle and uh, and and the absolute insane uh, football game that that was between the Denver Broncos and the Seattle Seahawks. And who in the world thought that it was just a preamble to how both teams seasons have gone Broncos Broncos on a road to uh on a road to uh, pain and and uh, never ending suffering and the Seattle Seahawks have lost their first game in what about 3 4 weeks heading into the bye and they're at 6 and 4 and still currently at least heading into the bye still hold first place in the NFC West but anyway getting off the beaten path uh let's get to this Vikings and Bills game and there's a couple of aspects I want to break it down here first. I'll do the Vikings. I'll do the Vikings side of things first, and then I'll do the Buffalo Bills second. Take a break, and then we'll get to the other games in Week Ten. Okay, like it or not, and and listen, me is and this is and this is coming from somebody that is not a Kirk Cousins fan. That was highly critical of the fact that he got that huge contract extension when he left Washington and and went to the Vikings in free agency. He's not a Kirk Cousins fan. Outspoken on speaking against you know his non his nonsense with the vaccine. Wasn't in love with uh, his with his father's comments when it came to uh, black athletes protesting and and the Black Lives Matter movement and all that other sort of stuff. So I am not exactly a huge fan of him. I think he's been one of the more underwhelming, most overrated quarterbacks of my generation. I call him a rich man. I call him a rich man's Andy Dalton for a reason. He doesn't show up in prime time, specifically on Monday Night Football. He's up to no good. But I got to be fair. I got to give uh, credit where it's due and got to look at it right down the middle and be objective about it. Kirk Cousins played a heroic football game on Sunday. Heroic. Does the stat line look sexy that he had 20 incomplete passes, threw the ball 50 times, got sacked four times, and threw two interceptions? No. But I tell you what does, 357 and 357 a touchdown pass and he orchest- and he orchestrated a uh, and he orchestrated a a game a drive that put the Vikings defense in a situation to force that botch snap which we'll get to in a minute and he orchestrated the drive which led to a Vikings field goal on their opening possession in overtime it, it, and and his and his mistakes were early in were early in the game but he had enough uh he had enough mental toughness and he stuck and he didn't give up he didn't get down on himself he brushed it off onto the next play next drive and made some incredible throws whether you want to pinpoint to the Justin Jefferson 4th and 18 uh catch which is absolutely sensational 
you want to go to you want you want to go to the one uh, during the final few uh, plays when they got the ball inside the uh, Bills five yard line towards the end of regular regulation. He, I mean, it was a it was just as much of a beautiful pass as it was a hell of a catch by Justin Jefferson right there by the sideline. Pinpoints the ball perfectly where only Justin Jefferson can catch it. Snatches it out of thin air like a frog sticking his tongue out, grabbing a fly. I mean, it was he he had some. Inc- it's one of the best. I t- and I'm not an executing in uh, or excuse me exercising in hyperbole when I say this. Kirk Cousins on Sunday played what, threw the ball as best as I've ever seen him throw it in the national in all of it in his in his entire NFL career. I mean, he threw the ball with such accuracy, such power, such precision, and was so freaking precise where he put the ball in this specific location, and he knew that Jefferson or any of his other wide receivers, Adam Thielen, uh, Osborne, put it right in the specific areas right there on the field where he knew that he that that they was going to give his receivers the best chance to suck that to catch the ball, bring it into him, and and keep the drive and keep uh, the drives alive and to keep the ball moving down the field. One of his best performances as far as the, as far as his throwing decisions and, and and the amount of oomph and 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 the and the flash that he put on his throws I've ever seen in his NFL career. I mean, he's throwing the ball and and I gotta check myself and see if I'm not watching. Watching uh, Aaron Rodgers or Patrick Mahomes behind center, he was throwing the ball that damn good on Sunday. It was phenomenal. Bounce back. He had the two horrendous. He had the two horrendous interceptions. Didn't let it phase him. Didn't let it bother him. His defense kept him in the game. He went out there and he drove down the field many a time and put the, and, and 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 scored uh, and scored twenty six points in the second half. Do I have that read right? No. 23 points in the second half. After after going into halftime down 20 down 24-10. And he outscored the Buffalo Bills in the second half 23 to 6. Sensational job by Kirk Cousins, that's the first thing. Second thing from a Vikings perspective. Justin Jefferson is in a league of his own. Okay? Devontae Adams has had a down year. You know, Jamar Chase had a, has put together uh, very nice performances and isn't exactly having a, a down year, a bad year per se, but he's been out recently with, of course, the bad hip, and he's had a couple of performances. You know, after week one against the Steelers, he really, he really didn't have any big games, and, and up until his the homecoming game against the uh, Saints, in mid-October, Jamar Chase really didn't have you know a, a lot of uh, ridiculous performances. Uh, to you know, we can and not and I'm not here to assess blame. It's just the way it is. The bottom line: Keenan Allen hasn't played since hasn't played in God knows how long. The bottom line is Justin Jefferson. If you want, you can debate, flip a coin between him and Stephon Diggs, who had a 12th reception, 128-yard performances, and a hell of a one-handed catch in his own right. But you, you can pick. You, you can flip a coin, argue, any, mini money, mo, whatever. Leave it up to you. Justin, between him and Stephon Diggs, he and Ju- Justin Jefferson is the best wide receiver in the National Football League right here, right now. You can you can certainly make the argument with Tyree Kill, but the thing with Tyree Kill is that 
A, uh, a he, Tyree Kill's ability is to take the short play to make the easy and, ma- and, and take off and make it a huge play. Where where Tyree Kill makes his money, getting a little you know a little curl route or a five yard flat pattern or a slant pattern catches the ball primarily with his chest because he's all he's like he catches more more Tyree kills more of a body catching than he has full on hundred uh, percent hands. But his his uh, his uh, strength as a wide receiver is catching it, whether it's securing it with his body, catching it, and then letting Tyree kills legs do the rest of the work. With Justin Jefferson specifically, one of the best hands in the league, and you know as long as the ball is just chucked up in his air, he go up and get it. I mean, it, it was it was it was a thing. He looked, he looked like Randy Moss out there on Sunday. He was a thing of beauty to watch. You can go Tyree Kill. You can go Stephon Diggs. You can go Cooper Cup, obviously, but Justin Jefferson's in a league of his own. And I, as a Bengals fan, can sit up here and tell you, you want Jamar Chase or Justin Jefferson? It may be blasphemy in the jungle for me to say this. I would go. Ju- I would go Justin Jefferson, not by a lot, but I, I'd pick Justin Jefferson. And I'm pretty sure if Jamar Chase, if you would ask Jamar Chase, he deep down probably say, this guy, I'm great, but this guy is just on another level. And we saw how great those two are uh, when they were teammates at LSU on that historic 2019 championship team with Joe Shiesty throwing him the football. So saying that Jamar Chase is, is not better than Justin Jefferson is not an insult. Because the margin between Jefferson's game and Chase's game is not is not that big of a margin. Slim margin between the two of them. But he is in an absolute league of his own. Ten receptions, 193 yards, and, and, a, tu- and a touchdown catch. The fourth and 18 catch. I still don't know how he caught it. Now, that's the fault on the... Uh, that's the fault on the... Bill's defensive back instead of trying to swat the ball to the ground, realizing it's fourth down. That instead of trying to you know play hero ball and get the highlight reel play and oh look at me, I got the interception to seal the game. No, hands up and he swat the ball to the ground. Instead he had he had his hands up trying to catch it, and Justin Jefferson somehow sway stuck one hand out in the air and used the defender's hands to kind of brace the football. But had so, but his hands were so strong that he clamped down on the ball and was able to bring it into his body without losing any possession or not allowing the football to touch the ground. And honestly, in my eyes, that's the best catch I've ever seen. The best one I've ever seen. Especially considering that the game was on the line when he did it and the yardage was, I mean, that that's... That's like that. That's hail mary type stuff. Fourth and eighteen. That's, that's not. It's not. You know that. That's a low percentage success rate of a play. Fourth and eighteen. And Justin Jefferson somehow some way sticks his hand up in the air and comes down with it to keep the game alive and to keep the drive moving for for Minnesota. 
where if he doesn't catches it, the uh, turnover on downs and the Bills win the game, game's over. That's the second thing with the Vikings. And then third thing that kind of, and then the and then the third thing with the Vikings real quick. And then there's a major point with the Vikings I want to hit home, then I'll get the Buffalo. Third thing with the Vikings. It just goes to show. We talk about the Giants and what a difference a new voice and a new head coach makes with the job that Brian Dable's done for now the seven and two New York football giants. We talk we we bring him up. We talk about the difference in coaching from a negative standpoint of how bad the the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have performed under Todd Bowles this season compared to when Bruce Arians was the head coach. But let me tell you something. Is there ever a move, ever a move that was more important to a football team besides the Giants getting rid of uh, <clears throat> Joe Judge, that fraud? Was there ever a move that was more important than the Minnesota Vikings hiring Kevin O'Connell to be their head coach? Outside of Dable. I mean, if Brian Dable doesn't have the Giants at a 7-2 record and Salah at, what, 6-3? and They had a bye week this week, but Salah with his Jets at 6-3 and and Dable with his team at 7-2, and those two coaches are the only lone reason why probably Kevin O'Connell won't win Coach of the Year this year. The only two reasons, to no fault of his own. Those two gentlemen are the, probably going to be the only two reasons if the Jets and the Giants end up making the playoffs. Those two be the only two reasons why my Coach of the Year prediction, thank you very much, pat myself on the back with that one, Kevin O'Connell won't win, won't win Coach of the Year because he has done not good but a great job with this football team. You look at the games that the Vikings have played this season, okay, no offense to 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 uh, to Mike Zimmer, who I like, former Bengals defensive coordinator. But let me tell you something: All these games that the, that the Vikings have played over the over the first uh, ten weeks of the year, you think a Mike Zimmer coach team? These are games last year the Vikings find a way to lose. Okay, Tw- uh, twenty beating the Detroit week three, twenty eight twenty four. Mike Zimmer coach team possibly loses that game. Uh, they beat the uh, Saints in London, 28-25. Mike Zimmer, coach Vikings team, loses that game. They beat the Bears by a touchdown, 29-22. Mike Zimmer, coach team, loses that game. Uh, 24-16 over Miami. Over uh, over Miami, uh, no tour. Uh, Mike Zimmer team possibly loses that game. They didn't play. They didn't play well in all facets in that game on October the 16th. Their game against Washington on November the sixth, they won by a field goal. Mike Zimmer coach team, uh, Tyler uh, T- Taylor Heineke, who which we'll, who we'll get to a little bit later on the show. I don't know. And then Sunday, they were down twenty seven to ten. Twenty four ten deficit, twenty seven to ten deficit, and they came back and outscored the Bills in the second half, twenty three. To six. 23 to six in the second half. 
That's coaching. Those guys believe in each other. They buy in. They believe in their head coach. They fight till every single. They fight for every single yard, every single inch. They play until the whistle is blown. And this offense has been a thing of beauty since he's taken the reins. They've ran the football tremendously well. Dalvin Cook, 14 carries, 119, one touchdown. To be specific, on Sunday, and their passing attack is one of the best in football. Adam Thielen is no slouch. They went out and traded for T.J. Hawkinson over the trade deadline, and like I said, just uh, Justin Jefferson is an all-world wide receiver. All-world wide receiver. And if you look at the Vikings this season, look at the games in which they've scored less. Look at the games in which they've scored less than, uh, that they've scored less than uh, 28 points. Hasn't been that many. Hasn't been that many. Less that they've scored less than 24 points. Week one, they scored 23. Uh, week one, they scored 23. Uh, week number, and then uh, against Washington, they scored 20. They've scored 24 points or more. One, two, or excuse me, or and they scored seven against the Eagles, so twice. They've scored 24 points or more. One, two, three, four, five, six times this season. Out of their, eight, out of, out of their uh, nine games. They've scored 24 points or more six times. The one time where they scored, uh, not counting when they only scored 23 against Green Bay, but the only time they scored less than 23 points, you want to be flexible to that, one time in which they won was against Washington. So their offense has, has, been, has been hitting their stride all season long, for the most part. Again, primetime Kirk Cousins, different story. 1 p.m. Kirk Cousins has been phenomenal this year. You want to go ahead and look at his stats? Kirk Cousins this year, okay, 14 touchdowns, 8 interceptions, 2,356 passing yards, has got a completion percentage of 64%, and a quarterback rating of 87. In the last five games, he's thrown for... Eight touchdowns, four interceptions, quarterback rating of 90, and completed 65% of his passes. It's pretty damn good. Kevin O'Connell, my coach of the year prediction, has done a phenomenal job. Former OC for the LA Rams, and they may think about getting him back after their season said goodnight and a loss to the Arizona Cardinals, but I digress. And then and then another thing with the uh, with the Vikings. Okay, no more talk now about the Vikings not being a top team in the NFC. That's over with. That's over, done with, oh, finish. That's done now. That's done. That's, that's done. It's done. The Eagles are a big-time football team. Like it, lump it, I don't care. Accept it. The Eagles, the, the, the Minnesota Vikings are the second-best team in the NFC and are our second-best team Arguably the arguably the 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 well not arguably because they lost to the Eagles but they're the second best team in the in the NFC and they're one of the top three best teams in all of football. You can go Eagles one, Vikings two, and then flip a coin between Buffalo, Buffalo uh, and the Chiefs for number three for who's the, also the best in the in the AFC. But the Chiefs are but people sit there telling me, Jai, really you consider the Vikings Super Bowl contender? You're damn right I do. This offense, 
Cook running the ball the way he is out of the backfield. Justin Jefferson, wide receiver, and Kirk Cousins has been absolutely just balling his ass off this season. This team hasn't lost a game since week two. Week two. They haven't lost a game in two months. Week two. They're a Super Bowl contender. Super Bowl contender and are running away with the NFC North. Running away with it. They beat Buffalo. They, you, you can't control with who with who's on your schedule. Okay, it ain't the Vikings' fault. They played they played Arizona, the Bears in there, who's also in their division, Detroit, who's in their division, and and the Minnesota Vikings with no Tua because the doctors fouled up evaluating Tua with the concussions. It's it's not the Vikings' fault. Not not their fault. And I'm not entirely get, uh, uh, well assured that if Tua played in the game against when the Dolphins played uh, played uh, the Vikings on October 16th, that the Dolphins would win. Not too sure about that. But they're up there. Cream of the crop in the NFC. And y'all that are doubting him and even doubting Kirk Cousins better recognize. I thought the Kyle Brants and the... Uh, Michael Irvin's of the world needed to be drug tested for picking Kirk Cousins to be the MVP this season. After that performance, the heroic performance on Sunday, and the season that they've had thus far, not counting the Week 2 Monday Night debacle, they make me eat a lot of crow. But in fairness, I look like a genius because Kevin O'Connell's done a sensational job. I picked them to uh, win Coach of the Year. So at the end of the day, it all evens itself out. Now to the Buffalo side of things. Before I get to the collapse of the Buffalo Bills, they got two problems that they need to address. If they think, and if they think, think that they still have high attainable Super Bowl aspirations. If they think that they, if they still see themselves as hoisting the Lombardi Trophy, the first winning the first ever Super Bowl championship in the history of the Buffalo Bills franchise in Glendale, Arizona, uh, in about what three months, uh, December, January, in three months' time, I got two adv- two words of advice for Buffalo. Really, three. One to for Josh Allen to stop turning over the damn football and to cut it out with his red zone interceptions. That's the first thing. Second thing I suggest they plan on stopping the run. Okay, they gave up 200 yards of rushing to the Green Bay Packers, about a buck 75 to the Jets the week before, and then on Sunday they gave up 119 rushing yards to Dalvin Cook. 119 rushing yards to Dalvin Cook. Okay, so cut down on the red zone interceptions, Josh Allen, who I heard all. And listen, he's great. He's sensational. He's fantastic. He's one of the best quarterbacks in all of football. But you got to call a spade a spade and call it like you see it. Josh Allen's play over the last two weeks, he has played himself out of the, that's right, O-U-T out of the MVP conversation and the best quarterback in the league, right this second, right here, right now conversation, with his performance over the last few weeks. He's played himself out of it. Okay, two stupid interceptions instead, two stupid interceptions in the second half against Green Bay, which kept him in the game uh, two weeks ago. He had a, he had a 
he had a terrible interception to Sauce Gardner, not take advantage, not spoiling a uh, a gift that the Bills got in the strip sack of Zuck Wilson, which set them up in decent field position. Not to mention the red zone interception he threw it in in the beginning of the game it's inside the red zone to begin the game in the first quarter against the Jets in the same game last week, and then you have what we saw on Sunday. Okay. Kirk Cousins throws a bonehead asinine third quarter interception, uh, and 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 and, 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 and well, I, I'm jumping all over the place. I apologize. What is he? What is Josh Allen doing? Throwing the foot, throwing the football on on uh, on the fourth and two, which I'll which I'll get on McDermott about a little bit later on. But what is he doing? Throwing the football willy nilly on fourth and two, up by ten. Trying to extend the play. I mean, there wasn't a Buffalo Bill nowhere in the atmosphere of where he's trying to throw that football. That was a gimme. Gimme to Patrick Peterson. So cut down on the on the interceptions. The Bills can't stop the run. And third, Sean McDermott. You know, and this is a guy that everyone made out to be in you know, Marv Levy. You know, coming into this season, I mean, when when he was when he wasn't smart enough to squib kick and keep the ball out of the end zone, and his defense collapsed in 13 seconds, allowing Mahomes to march down the field to kick a game tying field goal, and that and that also won McDermott's first playoff loss on the road either. I th- I believe I said on this show. Sean McDermott is 0-4 in road playoff games. 0-4. Lost road playoff game to the Jaguars in 17. Road playoff game in overtime to the Texans in 19. Lost to the Chiefs championship game in 20. And lost to the Chiefs again back in in, uh, January of this year in the second round. He's 0-4 in road playoff games. Oh, and four. And if he doesn't cut this crap out, he may have an opportunity to go 0 and 5 because you cannot, under any circumstances, explain for the life of me the logic, the, 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 the sense that comes with going for it on fourth and two at your own seven yard line when you're up 10 points. For the love of all that is holy, kick the freaking field goal! What are you doing up 10 points? Up 10 points with 10.34 to go in the fourth quarter. What are you doing to keep the offense on the field to go for to try to put yourself up 17 points? It's a, it's a two-possession game. Two-possession game. You're up 10. It's a gimme chip shot field goal. Take the points. What are you doing down the inside the red zone chasing points, Sean McDermott? As a result, he decides to go for it. They call shotgun pass pattern. Shotgun pass pattern on fourth and two. Allen rolling, 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 scrambling to his right. Somehow, someway, thought he saw a Buffalo Bill throws that directly to Patrick Peterson. And the drive stalls out. Mind-numbing, stupid, asinine interception.
and then the Bills' defense proceeds to give up a 13-play, 66-yard drive that ended in a Vikings touchdown to bring them within four points. I mean, you can not make... And then the Buffalo Bills fan screams and yells and kicks and screams why they never play in the Super Bowl. You can't win Super Bowls making stupid coaching decisions like that. No wonder you never beat Kansas City. I mean, come I understand that regular season, regular season, just one game, it's not the end of the world. If, if the Bills don't take this as like a warning sign now, they are going to be doomed come January. This is a warning sign. Them getting away with it, their win in the second half against Green Bay, their loss to the Buffalo Bills on the road, or excuse me, to the Jets on the road, and that, and then the collapse I saw on Sunday against the Vikings. This is not panic time, but it's wake up and it's 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 wake the TF up, wake TF up time. And Buffalo. Because if Allen doesn't cut this crap out, the defense keeps on fouling up, not being able to stop the run, and then McDermott making, making stupid decisions like that, you'll find yourself playing in another road playoff game. And maybe this time you won't be in Kansas City. Who knows? You may have to go down to Miami again in the heat. Or go to Baltimore again. Against Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. Or go to Cincinnati. You don't know. You just don't know. Or go to Tennessee. You just don't know. So... there's a reason why they play the games. Don't sit and read so much and get too high off your own praise. Everybody gifting you the Super Bowl in August and early September, and in come November, you're screwing the pooch. Because like I said on Friday, and when they lost the game, and sure enough, right here, right now, the Buffalo Bills are... And not the three seed in the AFC. They're the sixth seed in the AFC and have fallen to third place in their own division. Not second because they don't hold a tiebreaker with the Jets. Third place in their own division. Second to last, only above the Patriots, who granted having a good season. Everybody in that in that division has a has a has an above five hundred record from five and four to seven and three. But you're third place in your division, and you currently hold the sixth seed in the AFC playoff picture. The sixth seed. So if that doesn't wake up McDermott and the crew, I don't know what will. You weren't going to be get handed the Lamar Hunt trophy, or even the division for that matter. You still got to go out there and take it. And if you leave it on the table, they're going to be teams, the Dolphins, the Jets, hell, the New England Patriots 
that are going to be lurking around ready to take your spot the, the moment it's up for grabs. And you can't get to, let alone win Super Bowls, giving up 200-yard, 175-yard, 119 rushing yard performances. You, just, you, you cannot win football games that way. And then on the back end, have your quarterback throw nothing but interceptions at it for not inside the red zone. Offense couldn't capitalize off of uh, off of Cousins' third quarter interception. Couldn't capitalize out of 24 to 10 lead. Couldn't capitalize off an interception. Drive in and a punt. They gave up Dalvin Cook's 81 yard touchdown, which made it a 27 to 17 game with a buck 34 to go in the third quarter. Throw and then you have the Allen interception on the fourth and two. Let the Vikings march down the field to bring themselves within four. And then the Bills, as soon as they get the ball back, what do they do? Three plays, negative five yards, a first down screenplay. I mean, for crying out loud, please. First down screenplay, and they only take a minute and five off the clock, giving Minnesota the ball back with 3.26 to go in the fourth quarter. The defense stinks. They give up the fourth and 18. Justin Jefferson makes the stupendous catch. Goal line stand. They tackle J.J. six inches short of the goal line. Kirk Cousins somehow, some way, didn't. I still don't know how how they how they saw it from their vantage point. They didn't get any end zone. Maybe it's something wrong with me and then not the uh, not the officials. But Cousins doesn't get in. Goal line stand on fourth and goal. And all the Bills got to do is get the ball out of the end zone to at least the five-yard line, take a couple knees because the Vikings only had about one timeout left or thereabouts, probably didn't have him at that point. What do they do? Get too cute, they botch the snap, and the Vikings recover in the end zone for a touchdown. I mean, that's a collapse, and that's a collapse. I mean, that is that is just... That 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 that's horrendous, horrendous football. Terrible, terrible. I guess the Vikings all the in the world. They capitalized on it. Bills had many a chance to pull away, go up 17, 21, 24, 28 points. 28-7 lead had a chance to make it 35-10. Many at times had an opportunity to go up 31-10, 35-10. Many at times in this football game. Many at times. And they screwed the pooch every single last one of them. The only time the Buffalo Bills offense looked alive in the second half was... It was late in the th- was late in the fourth quarter, final seconds of regulation, where essentially I guess the Minnesota Vikings defense didn't bother showing up on the field because they allowed the to the, the, the Bills to march down the field like clockwork. You blink two times, and all of a sudden the Buffalo Bills are in field goal range. And for the life of me, I cannot understand. I can't. 
fathom how they got all this technology with the camera angles and, and the 4K quality and, and cameras and the pylon sticks and all and all this technological nonsense, this garbage, and somehow, some way, not one idiot up in Park Avenue decides to buzz down over to Orchard Park and said, Hey, Gabe Davis did not catch that football. No, I can't fathom how you got all them referees there standing on the field right on top of the play inside the five-yard line and not one of them bothers to count, the, count to 11 and realize that the Buffalo Bills had 12 men on the field. All you got to do is count to 11, guys. It's not rocket science. Bills got two breaks from the officials. Two. And still somehow somebody found a way to lose. That's not championship football. The Bucks played championship football for a change over in Munich, Germany. We'll break that down and more. This is the Amatelica Tiagos Podcast. Welcome back to the Amateur Like the TIS podcast. Couple of stats, right quick, uh, on the uh, Vikings and Bills game. Josh Allen leads the league in receptions, okay, with 10. That's more than Matt Ryan, who was benched, and more than uh, Davis Mills. So if it was Lamar Jackson, we'd, we'd want to uh, burn him at the stake and basically say that he's offensive to the position, okay? So cool it on 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 the Josh Allen MVP talk and him being essentially the second coming of uh, of uh, of uh, Jim Kelly and uh, Tom Brady reincarnated. Second thing, Justin Jefferson has now 20 career games with 100 receiving yards. That's the most by any player in his first three NFL seasons. Broke a tie with OBJ and Randy Moss, who had 19 in such games. We will continue with the game that took place over in uh, with the game that took place over in Germany between the Seattle Seahawks and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Buccaneers took care of business 21-16. As the as the Bucks and the Seahawks uh and the Seahawks lengthy uh winning streak they had not lost a game since uh since October the ninth they ended a one two three 
four-game winning streak that the Seattle Seahawks have been riding. They had not lost the game in a month, and the Tampa Buccaneers took care of business over in Munich. I'll get the recap the game out of the way first, and then give you my uh, thoughts on the game in London. Brady, twenty-two of twenty-nine, two fifty-eight, two touchdown passes. Uh, they ran the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Who would have thought the Tampa Bay Buccaneers would have found a way to run the football and do it effectively and do it often and do it well? <laughs> How about that? I mean, uh, talk uh, holler. I mean, if you're a Buccaneers fan, I mean, sombreros to the sky on Sunday morning. Rashad White, hallelujah, 22 carries, 105 rushing yards. The Bucks as a team ran for 161 yards. Leonard Fournette, 14 carries, 57 yards of rushing and a touchdown. Uh, you know, decent after decent afternoon. Brady has Brady ended one of the longest streaks. Tried to was about a few uh, pass attempts away, I believe, from uh, from. Uh, Break from tying and breaking Aaron Rodgers' record for the most uh, pass uh, pass attempts without interception. He threw his first interception in eons. The one interception he did throw on Sunday, but the give the Tampa Bay Buccaneers offensive line a lot of credit. They kept they uh, kept the Brady upright. One touched, zero sacks on the uh, in the Eastern time. Uh, time zone the morning over there in the late afternoon, early evening. They kept Brady upright, was not sacked not one time. The one thing, the one problem though, I got an issue with with Tampa is that they did kind of get a little stale in the third quarter in the in the second half, especially Seattle outscored them in the second half, sixteen to seven, and had not the Seattle defense been able to get off the field during the uh, during the Buccaneers final. Uh, possession of uh, one final uh, possession of uh, regulation, they would you know they, the Seahawks would have had an opportunity to get the ball back and put the ball in the end zone to uh, t- to uh, to take the lead. So the Buccaneers' offense got stale in the second half, especially in the fourth quarter, which I did not like, and I had no idea what the hell Byron Leftwich was thinking, calling a calling a, a a reverse pass play with Tom Brady out to be wide receiver. Hey Byron. In case you haven't forgot, just go pull up the video of when the Patriots pulled that in the Super Bowl uh, against the Eagles five five years ago, and then come back and tell me how it panned out. Okay, Tom Brady is great at a lot of things. Even at forty five years of age, he's having a down year, and people like me are you know for at least a week we're calling him washed, and when we're saying it's time for Tom Brady to go home, he can do a lot of things. Catching the football and being a wide receiver, at least on on uh, on trick plays, is not is not one of Tom Brady's uh, best gifts and best talents on the football field. Okay, he he's not he's not he's not a wide receiver. He he isn't. He can't catch. He's the he he just doesn't have it in him. Okay, he's a quarterback. He can throw the ball. He can't catch it. Not that that's a bad thing because, you know, he's that's where he's made his living is throwing the football, not catching it. But it's that was a, that's the first and the last time I want to see the Buccaneers send out Tom Brady on a on a on a on a on a on a pass catching on a pass on a pass catching pattern. OK, I don't want to see Tom Brady play, you know, take take a, you know, take another snap lined up as a lined up as the X ever again. OK, I, I, I don't I it's enough. OK, Brady especially at his advanced stage where you know one good one good hit one good lick and it's and is and 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 your season is 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 in the toilet and you're finished 
what, what are we doing wasting our time sending Brady out there wide receiver to catch footballs? I, I so Leftwich's going to have to explain that to me as well as uh, as Todd Bowles for allowing Leftwich to call such such uh, such idiocy. I mean, now no harm, no foul. The Bucks won the game and they got a and they got a hilarious. A little meme out of it because Tom Brady, you know, ran the route and he slipped and his feet came out from under him and he fall flat on his stomach. But it's no more with Tom Brady running pass patterns. It's it's enough. It's enough. When the Bucks ran the football well for a change, the their best running performance uh, by far all season. Brady only seven incomplete passes. Uh, the one t- the one turnover didn't get sacked. Offensive line did a hell of a job. And on the Seahawks side of things, you know, I, I you know it's it's a loss that they really couldn't afford in terms of the uh, in terms of the division because now they only have a half game lead up against uh, up against San Francisco who ended up winning on Sunday night. But if you're a Seahawks fan and you start and you were riding a four game winning streak, okay, you were two and three. You won four games. You you won four games in a row, and we're heading into this game at six and three with an opportunity to go seven and three heading into the bye week. You uh, you needed the game to keep pace and to stay one step ahead of San Francisco, uh, San Francisco, uh, who you lost too early in the regular season, but. You got it, but if you're a Seahawks fan, you cannot, you know, you can't, you can't go overboard with your anger and your disappointment simply because of the fact. And I am willing to give, uh, and I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt on this, only because of the fact that the Seattle Seahawks jet lag, jet lag. I mean, you can sit there and say, "Well, Jai, really jet lag?" Well, they played that game. They played that game. If you want to go ahead and look. Munich, Germany, to the compared to the Eastern Time Zone, is six hours ahead. Six hours ahead, Eastern Time Zone. Include the Pacific Time Zone over in Seattle. You do the math; that's three hours. That's a nine-hour time difference. Okay, their body clock. Their body clock is at six thirty in the morning when that game, and they and they can go over there, you know, and adjust and stay up to all hours of the night. The bottom line is is that it's hard try. It's hard when you go over to another country, okay, that's where the time zone difference is a one hour, two hour. No, it's 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 a six hour time difference from the East Coast. Factor in the three because Seahawks on the West. Fly there with that long, with that long flight. I understand they flew charter, but still a long flight for for all for all those hours stuck on a plane is is, is a long ass time. And then throwing and then throwing the fact, oh yeah, by the way, body clock time, you know, time that usually you guys are sleeping, even if you play on the East Coast, when you're sleeping, body clock, you got to get up six thirty in the morning. Or excuse me, body clock time, your game starts at six thirty in the morning, and you got to be up. Your body clock typically to your body, you're up at what four four thirty four four thirty five o'clock in the morning, and then six thirty body clock time, go out there and play a football game. It's asking a lot, especially when the Bucks came off that emotional win against the Rams. It's asking is it was in my eyes. It's asking. I understand they needed the game, and if they don't win a division. And it either leads to a uh, to a little bit of a slump for Seattle in November, or 
or or San Francisco is able to catch them and they beat them out based on tiebreaker and the Seahawks fan be kicking and screaming them kicking themselves that they basically lost the division because they played a game in Munich and and they ended up and their offense didn't show up for for for, for a half and they lost to the Tampa Buccaneers I get that and like I said on Friday the Seahawks needed the game as much as the Buccaneers did heading in but tall it, my eyes it's a tall order tall order Notice how notice how the Seahawks play didn't improve until until they got deeper into the football game. I don't find that by mere coincidence. Tough ask. I get I and they played well as of late. Four game win streak. I gotta I got I gotta cut them some slack. And granted, I understand that the Seahawks are one of the best teams in the sport. You know, 10 o'clock body clock time to go over to the Eastern time zone and they do nothing but win games. But a three-hour time difference versus a nine-hour time difference, that's six hours in between. It's a little different. Not to mention not have not having not having the luxuries of being at your own facility, practicing and watching film during the during the week. It's different. Gino got sacked three times, ten incompletions. They didn't run the ball. Uh, they didn't run the ball well. The Buccaneers defensive front did an excellent job stopping Kenneth Walker. Only ran ran for seventeen yards on ten carries. Seahawks as a team ran for thirty nine yards, and they you know and they kept DK Met and they kept the DK Metcalf in check. But give them a break. They're six and four heading into the bye. Still in first place at the time heading into the bye. They come out the bye. They got Vegas, who stinks and is offensive. The the Rams, who are dead. The Panthers, who stink. And then they got to get up. And this game will possibly be for first place for the uh, first place for the division against against San Francisco ten days before Christmas on Thursday night football. So they got. You look at their schedule. They have three when they have three games that they that they should three teams they should beat the brakes off of, Vegas, the Rams, and Carolina, and two out of the three are home games against Vegas and against Carolina. They get off the, they come out the bye get off the Schneid. I see win number seven, eight, and nine. They should be nine and four by the time they go up against San Francisco on uh, exactly one month from today. On the 15th of December. And then quickly as far as the uh, Munich thing is concerned. Uh, listen. It, it's, uh, the video. The video. Actually. You know. It, I was impressed by it. You know. The crowd singing. Uh, John Denver's Country Road. Take Me Home. Which has been stuck in my head over the last 48 hours. Which is actually a good song. Uh, and the only John Denver song I know and I like is Thank God I'm a Country Boy for obvious reasons, seventh inning stretch at Orioles games since the 70s. But, you know, so they were all singing, you know, arm in arm, country road, take me home to a place I belong, West Virginia. 
So they were singing that and had the flashlights. It was a cool. It was a cool scene after the game that no one's moving. They all standing there in the seats, uh, uh, singing "Sweet Caroline" at the top of their lungs. Even when they and they played uh, and sung along to uh, John Denver during the two minute warning. And when the music cut off and it was time for for play to resume, they're stu- the crowd in unison is still singing the song a cappella. It was just, just it was it was a cool sight to see. I must have seen about like ten videos of them singing that song all in unison and, and with that together in this wholesome warm environment. Uh, I must have seen it about like ten times over the last few days. It was it was a cool sight to see. And a lot of people who were th- a lot of people who were there said that there was a heavy there was there was a Amer- there was a good amount of Americans there like you know ten tw- ten to uh, you know twenty percent or so but a good portion from what I've heard people in the media and then fans that went to the game that there was a good amount of of uh, of, of Germans and Europeans that were at that game on Sunday that had a ball. And, and apparently NFL football, at least according to TV ratings and interests, it's it's big in, in Germany. So it may not be big in London, and I don't think it is, but if the NFL's got something in Germany, hey, God bless them. I didn't think that they did, but according to what I've heard, Looks like they got themselves a little bit of a, a, fa- a little bit of a fan base that's into gridiron football. Which, as a direct football fan, is uh, is nice to see. Albeit the fact that I can't stand, you know, all, all the stuff with taking a home game away from the local fans and and the players with the travel uh, and upsetting the body clock. All that drives me crazy. And the soccer fit. And these are not like they're you know they're they're grass fields, but they're not football fields they're soccer fields because slick fast surfers or whatever especially because over in europe it, there's a lot of uh, uh, misty and damp and and rainy days over there so the field is often wet which we saw with brady slipping and falling on sunday but hey those that were there said it was a hell of an experience the one thing i don't like though uh and they can fix it i guess the nfl does it because, you know, the idea of getting up and watching football at 9.30 in the morning to a quarter to midnight in the East Coast, I guess. And and this and they haven't always done this, but I would rather play the game at uh play the game in the afternoon. You know, if the game starts it's a six hour time difference, especially because the fact you had a West Coast team involved. It's a six hour time it's a six hour time difference. You play the game at one at regular one o'clock time, put the game on Fox or whatever. One o'clock on Fox, you do the math, six hour time difference. That game starts at seven o'clock at night, uh local time over in Munich, and it's a reasonable now, reasonable, quote-unquote, because, you know, if, if the game was played in Tampa, that's the time the game was started. But 10 o'clock in the morning time over in Seattle. That's the one thing I didn't like. Making the local Seattle fan get up at 6 o'clock to watch their team play at 6.30 in the morning. And then those, you know, like my brother who live on the Eastern time zone, but essentially, he didn't see eighty-five to ninety percent of the game because he's because he's 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 uh, he's uh, watching church service 
and while the while you know while Geno Smith is getting sacked left and right by the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers defensive pass rush. So, which is also why I don't like the 9:30 start time in general. You know, it's a let me do, do, do mornings church, afternoons football. Okay, I don't want them at 9:30, and I gotta sit up here. And if it's a game I really want to see, uh, you know, because I, I gotta sit up here and negotiate. Well, do I get up early and just watch church and have church essentially earlier and start my football afternoon earlier? Do I watch it, you know, side by side? Do I check in on the scores? I don't want to have to deal with that. I want to sit down, full attention, and watch the game. And eventually, one of these days, they're going to put the Bengals over in London with Burrow and Chase and everybody. They're going to put them... They've only played in London twice in my life, to, or excuse me, they only played in Europe twice. 2016 against the then-named Washington Redskins, in which they tied. That game started at 9.30 in the morning, which I remember vividly well. And my buddy Brendan, a uh, friend of the show, also remembers that game very well in 2016. And the second time was in 2019 when they played the Rams, and they got the brakes beaten off of them uh, over in London when they played the Rams. But and but that was a one. But that was a, a one o'clock game they put on CBS. Eventually, they're gonna put them at nine thirty in the morning, either on the NFL Network or ESPN Plus. And I'm gonna have to, you know, essentially wake up at six o'clock in the morning, attend one of the earlier church services, so I can so I can be home in time for kickoff and and you know basically be done ranting and raving about the Bengals before one o'clock in the afternoon. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Spending too much time on just one game. Second game, Lions and the Bears. The Lions took care of business and beat the Bears for their back for a back-to-back uh, win for them. And win their first road game in over two years, the Detroit Lions, thirty-one to thirty. Uh, a couple things I took away from that game. The Bears were the ones that blew a lead in this game. Had a twenty-four to ten lead. Uh, they had a uh, the, the Bears were just just bad plays, a little bit different than Buffalo because the because re- the Bears are rebuilding, but just bad plays you just can't have happen when you're up 14 points. They had a penalty that negated a uh, interception, which eventually led to uh, which led to a Lions touchdown, which I had an issue with. A holding penalty that that took away Herbert's big first down. A uh, run late, a uh, big first down run uh, later in the game. Holding penalty takes away Herbert's big first down run, which would have got them around midfield toward, uh, if not in fact, in uh, Detroit Lions territory. The very next play, Justin Fields play breaks down. Can't find any, but can't find anybody to. Uh, they would it would have set up shop for. Uh, it would have set up shop for. Uh, yeah, they would have gotten the ball at the at their own uh, 46-yard line again, a 19 yards holding penalty by Griffin takes it away, moves the ball back to the Chicago 27. Play breaks down. Justin Fields scrambling, scrambling, scrambling. Horrendous interception, pick six that tied the game up, and uh, and that ended up being the difference maker in the game. That and the fact that the that the uh, Bears kicker missed the uh, PAT on the Bears' next drive. After uh, just after Justin Fields' uh, 67-yard touchdown run, and Cairo Santos can't make the uh, PAT, which would have which would have put them up 31-24, and only and instead with him missing it, only putting the Bears up or leaving the Bears only up six. Kicks the extra point, 
it's 31-24. And then the Lions with two with, on their go-ahead touchdown drive, which came at about 221 in the fourth quarter, they have to kick the extra point to just to tie the game up. Instead, they instead the touchdown, and it was the and Tom Kennedy's clutch third down and eight uh, catch, which uh, which led to the uh, Lions go ahead touchdown. Instead, no, the with the extra point miss being off the table, they miss Santos misses the extra point. Lions get the ball, march down the field, score a touchdown to tie the game at thirty apiece, and the extra point takes the lead at thirty one thirty, and that was the difference in the game. The Lions stole a possession and stole a touchdown with the Fields. The lone mistake that, that Fields made was the pick six. and ended up being a difference maker in the game, and it, and, it, and, it, and it ended up being the end-all and be-all. And then Santos with the extra point, which if he makes it, only has the Lions' extra point tie the game instead of putting them out in front. Then the defensive line for the Lions comes down and seals it, and, uh, and seals the deal. Bears six plays, two yards. Get sacked by by Akwara, throwing a throwing a, an excellent job by uh, Aiden Hutchinson, who got him two plays early on a second and ten. And the Bears somehow, some way, after going after going, and I read you the stat here in a minute because this is a ridiculous, ridiculous number. And it leads to the Chicago Bears being the only team in NFL history who have scored 29 or more points in three consecutive games and have lost all three. Defense not entirely to blame, but they share some of it and fields with his decision that, you know, as he goes on, as he matures, he's got to learn. He keeps, he's got to be able to eat those throws. He can't try to play hero ball and risk them. Can't. And again, difference making the game. But he, 12 to 20, 167, two touchdown passes, ran for 147 yards on the ground and two touchdowns. Had a very solid day, if I ask me, and had a, he and a Cole Komet, an excellent connection, is tied in. Four receptions, 74 receiving yards, and two touchdowns. Game number two. Game number three. And we only will touch on this because it was a, a it was a snooze festival football game, and B there ain't not much more to uh, to say about this game that hasn't already been said when it comes to the Denver Broncos. And that the Denver Broncos are unwatchable, they are boring, they are lethargic, they are offensive to the damn senses to watch. Russell Wilson is still washed, ladies and gentlemen. Not much has changed. They are still washed. By week and all, they're still washed. They're 3-6 on the season. They have not won a road game inside the United States at all this year. Wilson was 21-42, 286, one interception, which I'll get to in a minute. Sacked six times. They can't run the ball. Murray and Gordon combined for for, for, 20, for excuse me for 48 rushing yards on 16 carries. Combined, 48 rushing yards for 16 carries. They can't throw the football. They can't run the football. Russell Wilson stinks. He has no pocket presence. Doesn't scramble like he used to. Takes way too many sacks. Misses wide open receivers that are staring at him right there in the headlights in front of his damn face. They, 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 they. The Broncos couldn't capitalize off, off the, off the Vikings fumble, or excuse me, off the, uh, off the Tennessee Titans fumble. They stink. 
And then Wilson with the game on the line after the Tennessee Titans somehow, some way have have fought it around and and have screwed around with the game and somehow kept the Broncos in the game. Somehow, some way, Russell Wilson on the final offensive drive of the game for Denver. This is a wide open Cortland Sutton at the eight yard line and throws a bonehead asinine interception to ice the game with 14 seconds to go in the fourth quarter. He either overthrew him or he flat out just didn't see him. Russell Wilson, ladies and gentlemen, stinks. He is trash. He's not any good. He's washed. He's overpaid. He needs to give that damn money back. And the Denver Broncos got fleeced by the Seattle Seahawks in that trade in March. Fleeced. Fleeced. They have the best scoring defense in the NFL, giving up on average 16 points a game. And they got the worst scoring offense in the NFL, barely averaging 14.5 points per game. The Denver Broncos are trash. They stink, and they're and he their their offense. Nathaniel Hackett and Russell Wilson are a complete waste of my damn time. Broncos country, riding their way to last place in the AFC West. Well, maybe not last place because Josh McDaniels is still employed. We'll get to that debacle and more. Stay tuned. The I'm Like a TIS podcast will continue. Here's the song they were singing, Two Minute Warning, over in Munich. And they start to and when this part of the song comes, the bridge, they start singing, and then it gets to the final verse. You just hear the matter of fact. Let me let me uh, find it, and I'll uh, let me find it, and I'll play it for you. Because uh, it, it really, I I it, I had to step step back and appreciate. It. I was like, wow, like it, like it really, like it, like it, it. I didn't like you know, getting like emotional, start crying, but it was like it was like one of like those cool surreal moments where like you realize like the power 
that sports has amongst society. Uh, let me see. Uh, I'll... And it fades out, and you hear Alan Roach's first, first and ten, and, you, and the music fades out, and they're still singing, and they're, and they even like sung through the snap, and then of course, uh, they get the Bucks get the run to put the game on ice out of two minute warning, and that was it. But uh, I, you listen to it, you listen to the song a couple of times, it grows on you. It's not like one of them. You know, them hokey, whiny, twangy, you know, country songs. It's one of those, it's one of those just your guitar, good lyrics, Denver can sing. One of those, one of those songs you listen to, you know, sit, sitting by a bonfire, uh, toasting or excuse me, roasting marshmallows or out in the countryside somewhere driving on a summer, on a, uh, on a summer evening. One, one of the, one of those songs. And uh, an event, and that song apparently is is very very popular over in Germany. And uh, matter of fact, John Denver, he he's from uh, Roswell, New Mexico, uh, but his uh, heritage is uh, his his re his real his uh, his uh, given last name was uh, Dutch. I can't pronounce it. Dutchensensdorf. Which is uh, which is obviously which is obviously German and that and just the real quick because I'm fascinated by it. Uh, t that song because uh, I got plenty to say about uh, about uh, the Raiders and other Week Ten games, but real quick, uh, that song was. Let's see what the tracks were. It only only in uh, wow they only had it in. Canada and the U.S. at the time. I was looking to see what how big it was on the charts over in Germany. Because uh, I see a cover version of the song by the Herms House Band, whoever they are. Uh, their version made it to two on the weekly charts. And uh, I've never heard their version, but, but, it, that, but the John Denver one is very... Very, it's 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 a good song, and it, at the time, nineteen seventy one, number two on the Billboard Hot one hundred here in the states. It's very, yeah, you hear it a couple of times. Catchy lyrics, easy lyrics, easy to know, uh, easy to sing along uh, to that song. It's a very 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 good song. People debate all the time: is he really was he singing about? Because uh, he said that he was driving along Clopper Road in Montgomery County, Maryland, and there's always a debate that he make the song about West Virginia, who's who's adopted it as their state anthem, or did he make the song really about the state of Maryland? But anyway, that's neither here nor there. But I found that scene at the end of the game on Sunday 
to be uh to be very cool. I it, it it made an impression on me like, oh, maybe NFL is is as big as is as big and as advertised over in Germany. But I took that away from which is very cool. Okay. Now moving on to, uh back to uh back to football. Uh Josh uh, Jeff Saturday got his first win as head coach of the Indianapolis Colts on Sunday with the Colts winning 25 to 20 uh and listen get and we'll let's do the Colts first before we get to the uh Raiders just side of things which is just ridiculous uh but listen the Jeff Saturday give I understand it's just one game and if the team you know falls flat on falls flat as a pancake and falls flat on their caucus against the Eagles this week and next Sunday and lose 35 to nothing and are non-competitive and are a disgrace, you know, I, I, that I, you know, okay, fine. But listen, for, for the one game in his debut, Jeff Saturday sure as I look like he knew what the hell he was doing. And I said it at the time, I'll say it again, I was not in the... Group that was outraged, that was upset, that was kicking and screaming, saying it's just a disgrace to humanity that Jeff Saturday uh, got the head, got, is a head coach of NFL team in the middle of a season, fresh off the fresh off the studio of ESPN. I was not one of those people that thought that. I was that person that looked at that looked at both sides of the argument, saw both sides of the coin, and said, "I get." And you're, I said, "I get." I understand. I agree with the premise that. This sets a bad precedent of 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 overlooking all the all the coaches in the National Football League right now. Assist uh, black and white, those who are assistants and those who are fired, unemployed head coaches. How it sets a bad precedent of 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 this of this select few. There's only 32 NFL head coaching positions. There are. And to pick one guy, you know, that's out of the out of the TV studio who's never coached on on the high on the NFL or college level of any kind, no position, no head coach, no nothing, uh, no 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 positions coach, no coordinator, no nothing, and you give them the head coaching position, let alone the middle of the season. I understand it sets a bad precedent. I understand that it looks bad, that the optics aren't great. And you can, you know, certainly make the argument that Ursay, you know, now granted in fairness to him, he has employed two black head coaches during his tenure as as running owner of the Indianapolis Colts and and Dungey, which won him a Super Bowl, and uh, and Jim Caldwell, who got his team to the Super Bowl in two thousand and nine. But so I so I so so I and it's and it's not not calling Ursay a racist under any circumstances, but it but it doesn't look good that he exploits the loophole of the fact that you don't have to execute the Rooney rule when finding and hi, trying to find and hire an assistant head coach. I understand that argument too. And it's an effect that just it you know it looks bad. It's controversial, and Ursay didn't exactly distinguish himself or come across as a wordsmith behind his explanation for giving uh, Jeff Saturday his ex-player, who he who he loves, and which the Indianapolis Colts fan base and that community loves. And Ursay came across as defensive and arrogant and smug, uh, and not and so I I, I get that. I understand that, and I get that as well. But on the flip side, like I said, Ursay might have given him the benefit of the doubt on it. In this situation, Ursay looked at it from a standpoint, and listen, 
He probably doesn't want to invest all in and go through an offseason of scouting, evaluating draft picks, you know, free agency. He doesn't want to have to go through a full offseason of that. Maybe he likes long-term being close to his family and seeing them with when doing the TV gigs on ESPN on the side. You know, maybe he doesn't. He maybe you know he doesn't want to be an NFL head coach long term. At least at this point in stage of time right now in his life, you know why tank? Why ruin Reggie Wayne if he plans to be an NFL head coach? There's also the argument that you know he overlooked a guy that uh, a a position coach on his staff that had no head coaching experience looked over him to Ursa. You can make that argument. I'm not going to. Uh, I'm not going to simply because of the fact that you know that I I don't that we don't know if uh, if Reggie Wayne was offered the job opportunity and chose not to and chose not to accept it. So from that standpoint, well, I'll give Ursay the benefit of the doubt on that as well. But that if you you can make that argument, but I'm but again we just don't know if Ursay if if Wayne was given a job and he just didn't want to take it for whatever the reasons that might entail. But yeah, but again, to the flip argument that I made last week, you know, he if Wayne wants to be a head coach sometime down the road. Why tank his record? Why ruin his uh, re- why ruin his resume before he gets started by giving him a team that's broken? That's that a team that's not going to win a division and most likely not not going to uh, not going to make the playoffs. And then you know, and then and then why bring back the old retreads of Gus Bradley who stunk who stunk with the Jaguars and John Fox who's been around the block a while who's made his mark in his job with his uh, positions at, at at the NFL or excuse me his job uh, coaching at the at in the in the NFL head coach uh, position so you know why bring back why bring the old retreads in and why you know possibly ruin Reggie Wayne's future chance if he wants to be an NFL head coach down so I get that so I so I understand both sides of the coin of how it looks bad and optics are terrible, but you can also sit up here and say, you know, you're being a little bit over dramatic, a little bit over the top saying basically it's basically one of the biggest disgraces in the history of the National Football League. I think that I think that's a little bit strong to say myself personally. But having said all that, give give Saturday credit. He basically he gave he gave the offensive play calling duties to the to the 29 year old who's never you know who's who hasn't held duties before but who's been on the staff all season long sat through the meetings the practices the whole nine yards he let him take the reins with offensive play calling he stayed the hell out of the way he started Matt Ryan based on gut based on whatever film study he's done you know for NFL Live first take get up on ESPN. And and what he saw out of uh, Ryan in practice during the week, he started him, which was the right, which was the right decision, the right move. Started him, stayed out of the way with. He didn't call plays and tried to, you know, pretend some, try, pretend to be someone that that he's not. And that's an offensive guru and a, and a offensive uh, genius. Stayed out of the way, managed the game properly. The team was focused. They were disciplined. They only committed. Uh, they only committed uh, four penalties for twenty-five. Four penalties for twenty-five yards. 
they they had 415 total yards of offense, averaged seven yards a play, stayed the hell out of the way, and let the players and let the players on the field do their job. You can say, well, that's not coaching. That's just letting. That's just the players just you know doing it, just doing their thing, and 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 him just taking the credit for the win. Now, sometimes coaching, it, sometimes being a good head coach in sports is knowing when to take a step back. Hands off, get the hell out of the way, and allowing your players just go out there and just play. Some a lot, a lot of times where the coaches get themselves in trouble, and we've seen it many times this season, is that they stick their beak in the game and feel the need to put their fingerprints all over the game. And what happens? They get a little bit too cute. They overthink. They overthink things, and they, and they end up more times not hurting their team more than helping their team. So Ursay said, "Listen." I, I got the job on I got the job six days ago. Short preparation uh, week for me. Let me stay out of the way. Let these guys who've been here since day one in training camp back in July let them run the show, and I basically you know keep track of the timeouts, the clock management, and give them the motivational speeches and a pep talk before the game, halftime to the media at the press conferences, and make sure I know what the hell I'm doing. I'm running practice. That's it. And and the coach went out there and played the most inspired football I've ever seen him play all season long. Matt Ryan played at played at an MVP level on Sunday. It was ridiculous. Turned back the clock six years ago. Twenty one to twenty eight, two twenty two passing yards, one touchdown. Had that great phenomenal thirty nine yard run during the game as well. And you know what? Welcome back, Jonathan Taylor. Twenty two carries, a buck forty seven on the ground, and ran for and ran for a uh, and ran for a touchdown. Colts ran the ball well. Matt Ryan played like his twenty sixteen MVP self. And Saturday let the smarter people in the room, the more experienced and tuned people in the room, do their work and he stayed out of the way and did nothing but make sure had how many timeouts, how to use the timeouts manage the game clock and and know how to give the pep talks and speeches, you know, uh before the game, during the game, at halftime, and knowing how to run the practices during the week. And evidently essentially be and being being added extra offensive line coach as well because the Colts who gave up 9 sacks to New England the week before only gave up one to the Raiders on Sunday. So he also, at least in the short term, added a little bit of a boost to the Colts' offensive line, who played better in the game. Blocked well for Jonathan Taylor and only surrendered one sack on the afternoon. So give Saturday credit. Sensational job. Hats off to him. Congratulations. First ever game as NFL head coach, and he gets his win. Against a coach who, in my honest opinion, I have no idea why the hell he's still employed by the Las Vegas Raiders. None. I I I I I I I sit here two days after that win. You know, this is the guy that's never coached on a college football or NFL level a day in his life after they after coming off of a game in which they collapsed, blew a double digit and col- double digit lead and collapsed on the road against the Jacksonville Jaguars the week before. They've been absolutely horrendous all season long. Blow leads to them. The Chiefs on the road and at home against the Cardinals in week two. And Mark Davis somehow, some way is convinced that Josh McDaniels, quote, is doing a fantastic job. 
when his team lost to a when his team lost to an opponent whose head coach was working at ESPN a week before. Never coached an NFL game a day in his life. Offensive line gave up nine sacks. Matt Ryan's play, Matt Ryan hadn't played like this since since Trump was in office. And yet Mark Davis is somehow convinced that Josh McDaniels is doing a quote a fantastic job when his team is 2 and 7 through the first 9 games of the 2022 regular season. Well, Rome wasn't built in a day. Mark, get drug tested. Your team stinks. Unprepared, unenthused, lethargic. You blow leads left and right. Albeit the Colts played well, there were many of opportunities that you guys had to capitalize, to tie the game, to go out in front. Colts failed on not one, but two two-point conversions which kept you in the game, and your offense couldn't capitalize. Period. Derek Carr, incomplete passes all over the damn place. You can't run the football. Worth a crap with Josh Jacobs. Horrible. Blown leads to the Jaguars, the Chiefs, and the Chargers. What more do you need to see for you to get a damn clue that Josh McDaniels has zero business being the head coach of your football team? He stinks. If you don't believe me, listen to this stat. Josh McDaniels, okay? Josh McDaniels in his last 31 games, that's what the Denver Broncos and the and these first 9 with Vegas. His last 31 games as a head coach, his teams have won seven games and lost 24 of them. Seven wins, 24 losses. Your team, Mark Davis, is 0-6 in one-score games this season. It's the longest active streak in the National Football League And you're trying to convince everyone else and their mother that everything is A-OK, that everything is peaches and cream. Well, you know what, Mark? It's not. I do not freaking get it. I don't. I don't. Should have been fired before he should have been fired by the time he reached the locker room tunnel. In other news, the Green Bay Packers continue to own the Dallas Cowboys. Which is which is absolutely phenomenal. You know, it's I had a weird feeling heading into this game that the Dallas Cowboys were gonna lose. 
Because, and this has been the Dallas Cowboys MO for as long as I've been a football fan, for as long as I've been watching them play. The moment you put expectation and you put pressure and hold the Dallas Cowboys' feet to the fire and say, oh, let's see what you got. You think you're a big time football team? Okay, let's see what you got. Hold the feet to the fire, put a little expectation on them, and me being dumb enough to, to put them as the, as the, as the third team, or excuse me, the fourth team in the NFC that can win a Super Bowl, and look how they and look and look and look how they do on Sunday with a twenty-eight to fourteen collapse. Ladies and gentlemen, did you know that the Dallas Cowboys, in the history of their franchise, heading into Sunday's game, were a hundred had a hundred and ninety-five and O record? when leading by 14 points or more entering the fourth quarter. Did you know that? 195 wins and zero losses heading when up 14 points or more heading into the fourth quarter in the 62-year history of the franchise until that 28-14 collapse on Sunday. That that is the Dallas Cowboys in the 21st century in a freaking nutshell. They can beat up on teams. They can even beat superior competition when nobody expects them to. They can beat the defending AFC champion Cincinnati Bengals when nobody expects them to with Cooper Rush. They can beat. The Chicago Bears coming off of an impressive Monday night victory at home when people expect them to or when people thought that the Bears had a chance in hell of upsetting them. They can go out there and beat. They can beat the Rams with a bad offensive line and no running game on the road. They can beat them. Where the rubber meets the road with the Dallas Cowboys is how will they fare? How will they match up again? They can beat the Detroit Lions with the worst defense in all of football. They can beat those substandard, inferior teams. But where the rubber meets the road with the Dallas Cowboys is whether or not when the chips are the not necessarily chips middle table, I, I take that back. But when but when they go up against a team that either they aren't favored against, they aren't better than, or historically they don't play well against and they don't win. In this case, Dallas, or excuse me, Green Bay. I apologize. What do they do in those situations when they go up against in when they go up against superior competition they are huge favorites or they're going up against a team that historically they don't they don't win against and on Sunday's case the Green Bay Packers a team that Aaron Rodgers has owned for years Aaron Rodgers scored nine points, nine points, and threw three interceptions going up against the worst defense in the National Football League 
just a week ago. Nine points, three interceptions against the worst defense in the sport. Who's had an atrocious first half of the season. Atrocious. And yet somehow the big, bad Dallas Cowboy defense allowed Aaron Rodgers to only have six incomplete passes, 14-20, throw for three touchdowns, and zero interceptions. And oh, by the way, allowed for Aaron Jones to run for 138 yards on 24 carries. The Dallas Cowboy defense on Sunday was deplorable. They couldn't stop the run, and they damn sure couldn't stop the pass. Couldn't stop the pass. Christian Watson, four receptions, 107 yards, and three touchdown catches absolutely ate up the Dallas Cowboys secondary on Sunday. Did you know that Watson is now the first Packer rookie with 100 receiving yards and three touchdowns in a game since James Lofton did it in 1978? He is also the first rookie to record three receiving touchdowns in a game against the Cowboys since Randy Moss did it back back on Thanksgiving of 98. The Dallas Cowboy defense was disgusting on Sunday. Disgusting. Gave up a fourth and seven. Watson caught the touchdown pass, which made it twenty, which nailed the Cowboy lead down to seven with three with thirteen twenty three to go in the fourth quarter. I mean, just an atrocious, atrocious performance. And the Cowboy fans can kick and bitch and scream about the officiating to the Cowboys come home. Bottom line is, you guys play like crap. And by the time the Packers tied the game for 28 apiece, you didn't deserve to win the football game. You didn't deserve the win. Sorry. Ref ball, no ref ball. You didn't deserve the win. When you're when you're when you can't stop the run and Christian Watson is is looking like Devontae Adams when he's had in the sieve first half of the season and that offense put up nine points against the worst defense in football the week before and Rodgers threw through not one but three interceptions and you can't force that one. He throws for three touchdown passes, only six incompletions, and Aaron Jones has his second best rushing performance of the season against y'all, I want to hear about no refs. I I do not want to hear it. Because you guys, whether it's at Lambeau, AT&T Stadium, you coached by Jason Garrett or Mike McCarthy, this is a game that you guys always, 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 always find a way to lose. Whether you whether you fall asleep for three for for three quarters and you wake up in the fourth and it's too little too late, or in the situation unique on Sunday, you had a two touchdown lead and you pissed it right down your leg. Pissed it down your leg. The one turnover the defense was able to force. And that bum of a quarterback behind center can't capitalize. 
throws a stupid interception, and the guy jumps the route, and it leads to a Packers touchdown to tie the game up at 7-7. And I've said it, I said it in January, I've said it a thousand times. It is enough with Dak Prescott being some big-time NFL starting quarterback that can get you to a Super Bowl. If you think, if you think and are saying, and you think and sit up on TV or on radio or on the internet with a straight face and think logically, honestly, and objectively that Dak Prescott can win the Dallas Cowboys a Super Bowl, you need your head examined and you need to take the Dallas Cowboy Dak blinders off. Okay, Dak Prescott cannot win you a Super Bowl. He can't. You want to know how? On third and fourth down this season. Do you know he has the worst completion percentage in the sport on third and fourth down? He completes 43% of his passes on third and fourth down. I didn't play in the NFL. I didn't play. I'm not a coach, but I do know this. In my 15 or so years of being a football fan and have seen God knows how many games throughout my lifetime where I've also played football at the varsity level in high school, I know this. Third and fourth downs are where a quarterback's bread is buttered, especially when they're on contending teams. And being in the likes of Tim Tebow for the worst completion percentage on third and fourth down, it does not scream to me Super Bowl caliber quarterback. That's the worst completion percentage in the league in 11 years. 43% of your passes, Dak? Really? He's got the second worst touchdown interception ratio. And, and again, one more time, find me one, find me one big time road playoff win in Dak Prescott's career. Find me one, find me two, find me five of them. Find me three, find me two. Again, I've said it a thousand times, Joe Burrow has accomplished more in his two full seasons in the National Football League than Dak Prescott has in seven. The great quarterback, the Super Bowl caliber quarterback, bails his team out when his defense plays like crap. Dak Prescott ain't that. Never has been, never will be. 27 of 46, two interceptions. Really? Miscommunication with Lamb? I mean, just a stupid, stupid, stupid interception on third and ten. Green Bay's ensuing offensive possession. Marshawn, a field score touchdown, take the lead. 
This is who he is. And for some reason, you, you people out there overrate this guy like he's the second coming of uh, of of Starbuck and Troy Aikman put together. He ain't a patch on any of those guys' ass. Done win a lot of big games, and the once he does win, he doesn't win. He doesn't win them on the road. Not as good of a quarterback on the road. Look at the numbers. Yeah, I think it's because he wears a star in his helmet that he's some great quarterback. Get out of here. He's as mid-average of a quarterback if I've ever seen one. I don't care how many direct TV and sleep number commercials he's in. I could care less. Great quarterbacks bail their teams out. They bail their defense. Not all the time, but gee whiz. Every now and again, can he Dak make all the money he's making? Can he go out, drive down the field, and bail out the Dallas Cowboys? Who gave up 17 points in the second half? And allowed Aaron Rodgers to put to put on his best performance of the, of the entire season. Can he bail him out? Can he put together a drive for once in his life? One time. Now, I'm not saying that you go overboard and you start Cooper Rush. I'm not saying that. But it's 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 just how many more times do you got to see the same old. Uh, uh, Dog and pony show from Dak Prescott, and it's just his 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 average, meh, mid, I play behind center. Yet he's getting paid to the likes of the Josh Allen's and Patrick Mahomes of the world. And Mike McCarthy returns to Lambeau Field. Here it is. I'm giving. I gave him credit last week. He's done an excellent job coaching this football team. See, everyone thought their season was over after week one, and all of a sudden he turns back to Lambeau Field in 2020, and not 2020, 20, uh, 2021. Mike McCarthy shows up. What is he doing? Going for it on a fourth and four in overtime? Kick your field goal. Idiots. No wonder they never win. That's that that is a game that the that the Cowboys should have won 35 to 14. They should have ran away with that game in the head. Cooper Rush should have been in the game in the fourth quarter. They should have beaten the brakes off of Green Bay so bad, and all they did was vomit all over themselves. Michael Parsons, everybody tells me it's the second coming of, of, uh, of Lawrence Taylor. Where was he in the game? There's nowhere to be found. Every single time you expect something, you give them credit, you tip the cap, you give them their respect with Dallas, and this is and this is and this is what they do. 
and they sit back and they wonder why nobody gives us respect. Why does everybody hate us? Us, When you just when you just go out on the field and you just and you just you, you give the public that the Green Bay Packers are not a good football team. They're not. But the difference which I thought was going to be a difference between the Vikings and the Packers when it came down to the north. But the difference of the game was was very simple. Among the fact that the, that the Cowboys' defense stumped, we're looking at as from an offensive perspective, the Packers have Aaron Rodgers, who regardless how piss poor of a season he's having, whether he's GQ debonair or looking like he came out of a cave on, on some godforsaken island in Hawaii. No matter who he's dating. No matter what kind of season he's having. No matter his haircut, clean shaven, full out beard, Fu Manchu, it doesn't matter. Aaron Rodgers for whatever the re- maybe it's because of the fact that he grew up a Packer fan, or excuse me, grew up a 49er fan in, in the 80s and 90s, and he and he's pissed off at all the at all the uh, beatdowns that the Cowboys put put on the uh, f- put on the 49ers in the 90s. I don't know, but for whatever the reason, every single time he goes up against the Dallas Cowboys, you can you can you can count on it every single time. I I learned my lesson. You can count on it every single time, whether it's in Lambeau. Or AT&T Stadium, Germany, England, Mexico on the moon. Aaron Rodgers will kick the living crap out of the out of the Dallas Cowboys. Doesn't matter who the Cowboys head coach is, who's going to do. As long as Aaron Rodgers is wearing number twelve for the for the green and yellow, more likely than not, he is going to win the game when the Dallas Cowboys is his opponent. Doesn't matter if Mike McCarthy is his head coach or the opposing coach. Aaron Rodgers is going to find a way to get it get it done. And if it's the Cowboys, whether it's McCarthy on the sidelines or Coach Clapp or Roma behind center or Dak Prescott, they somehow, someway find a way to come out short. They always do. Some of it bad luck and, and the other half of it their own self-inflicted ineptitude. Same old freaking story with this team. So old. And they sit in, well, nobody gives us credit, and this, that, and the other. They want to sit in and pump up, their poor chest, pump up their chest like the Dallas Cowboys are being slighted. No, you're not. Anyway. 49ers as out the Chargers 22 to uh, 16. The 49ers ran the ball well, very well. Elijah Mitchell, 89 yards rushing. Chris McCaffrey ran for a touchdown. <sighs> did a nice, eh, boring game, mid-game. But, you know, 49ers did what they had to do. Jimmy Garoppolo didn't lose the game for him. Certainly didn't win it either. Uh, one of them panted Jimmy Garoppolo-type performances. And then the Chargers, you know, they just Herbert got sacked twice. Uh, they couldn't run the football well at all. I told you that the San Francisco and the 49ers defensive front was gonna was not gonna allow the Chargers to run rampant all over them. Eckler only ran for 24 yards on six on six carries. Not a lot of playmakers out there on offense for the Chargers on Sunday night, and it certainly showed uh, in their loss. I don't 
necessarily a, I understand it was helmet to helmet, but it wasn't egregious. It wasn't vicious. It wasn't uh, with it with this with a with a clear intent to hurt Justin Herbert. I don't understand the ejection. Uh, throwing out the uh, throwing out the 49er linebacker there, I understand. You know that that the league is spooked because of the, the outcry and the controversy with the tour situation, but that made absolutely no sense to me whatsoever. Uh, throwing him out, you know, it just uh, it, I just think it was a little bit extra to be quite honest with you. And I don't have an issue with them taking uh, Herbert out of the game at least for a, at least for a minute. Uh, you know, because he got he got not one but two shots to the head, helmet to helmet. And listen, their policy, you know, it was special again, scared, scared shitless. Excuse my French with the situation. Want to pull him out the game and make sure he's got his bearings. I got no problems with it, uh, whatsoever. At least for a co- at least for uh for a couple of plays. So I got no problems with that either. And lastly. The Philadelphia Eagles are no longer undefeated. And I saw this loss coming from a mile away. I even though I picked the Eagles to win the game by a I think I picked the Eagles to win the game by a field goal. I knew the game was going to be close and I had an, and I had a feeling that the uh that the Eagles were on upset watch because and I think that the long layoff between a Thursday night game against uh Against the uh, Texans and with the Monday night game after the fact, did uh, hindered the Eagles instead of helping them because they didn't they played their worst game of the season. Not well, their worst game. They they had their worst win of the season against the Texans. They came out slow, lethargic, unenthused. Heads weren't in the game. They thought it was a given game. That the uh, that the Texans just gonna just gonna just lie down and die, and we're just gonna give them the game, and it's gonna be you know a thirty-five to nothing uh, shutout by halftime. So I so and you saw and I saw it coming. It's just bomb. You say I saw it coming that if the if the Eagles screwed around with the game and kept Washington in, allowed them to run the football, couldn't stop the run, allowed Heineken to make a couple of plays rolling out the pocket, working the play action, and essentially didn't send the message loud and clear in the opening few in the opening possessions of the game in the first quarter. Uh and essentially come out of the first quarter with a twenty one to seven or twenty one to nothing lead that that the that Washington had a, had good as a chance as, as as ever to win that game. And lo and behold, they did. Washington give uh, Scott Turner tremendous credit with his game plan. It was pound the rock, pound the rock, pound the rock, and make the Eagles stop you. They had a hard time stopping. Uh, they had a hard time stopping the run against uh, against Houston in their in their game before. And then they turn around. And they allow Washington as a team run for 152 yards on the ground, two touchdowns. And uh, Brian Robinson Jr. ran for 86 carries and ran for and eight on 26 carries, 86 yards and ran for a touchdown. And Antonio Gibson, 14 carries, 44 yards on, on the ground and ran for a touchdown as well. And then Terry McLaurin, one of the more underrated wide receivers in the National Football League, who deserves to have his name talked about more often. Eight receptions, 128 yards was just absolutely sensational in the game. Sensational. Heineke, you know his stat line isn't sexy, uh, and and it doesn't look all all that appealing. Seventeen to twenty nine, two eleven yards passing, one interception, uh, got sacked three times, but he but he extended he extended plays, didn't play hero ball, didn't try to do too much. 
uh, played within his means the majority of the time, uh, used his legs to scramble out the pocket to uh, extend plays and find McLaurin, find Samuel open downfield, uh, and Dotson as well, and he and the Commanders, and and the Commanders also executed off the Eagles' turnovers. Execute off the Eagles turnovers. Why Jalen Hurts is throwing the double coverage down the field? I have absolutely no idea what the hell he was thinking there on the interception. The two, the two, the two fumbles. Uh, one of them shouldn't have counted. They, they, the Commanders got a break. How in the world? I mean, if you're going to have instant replay, if you're going to have instant replay, I don't understand. You know why things such as uh why things such as uh face mask isn't 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 reviewable i understand we don't you don't want to necessarily get into get into the uh, habit of uh of uh, you know having every single uh, penalty underneath the sun reviewable but something as obvious and as clear cut and dry in 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 easy to the eye test as uh as a, as a face mask penalty, and yet they had to go back and review it. I understand that the play isn't reviewable, but somebody with, either within the legal office, the official, and says, "Guys, I understand that the play isn't reviewable, but we got, but the, but it was so obvious and it was so uh, egregious of, of a penalty that we got to basically bend the rules and 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 cover our own ass." And violating a rule to cover up our hind parts for the, for a clear violation of this one on the player's part, and we gotta and we gotta throw the flag on 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 a face mask of this one because if the face mask penalty is called and or if the face mask penalty doesn't happen, we're not even having a discussion about that fumble. We don't. Bottom line. And so it's a piss poor job by the officiating, and it should be. And I understand last time we decided to, you know, review penalties. The pass interference one, it didn't end so well. That one's a little bit different because not every pass interference penalty, uh, the is 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 like and the and in one pass and one play it looks like pass interference to one person is a pass interference to the other. Face mask totally different thing. We see we we see a hand and fingers interlocked with the face mask. It's a penalty, you know. Clear, not not you're not not picking and choosing and quibbling and and subjective and up to interpretation. No, it's just the way it is. Face mask. If your hand, your fingers are latched onto that face mask or grabbing up the uh, player's helmet and yanking their head every which direction, it's that's not that's 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 not that's not a legal play. It's not a legal play. So plays like that where it's cut and dry, twelfth men is reviewable. Why? Why isn't this? Twelfth men isn't subjective. All you gotta do is just be able to count to eleven. If you count one, if you count after, if you count the one player after you reach eleven, it's a penalty. Same thing with this. Player's hand grazes or grabs onto the face mask. You throw the flag. Period. Case closed. End of story. And why? Uh, I get the player's name here in a second. Why uh, uh, Watkins fumbled the football? I mean, he has got a 50-yard pass completion, which would have given the Philadelphia Eagles premier field position at the Washington 23-yard line, uh, down five at 26-21. Why in the world he's getting greedy 
and and trying to get more yards where if anything is more imperative that they get that they have the ball inside the commander's field position with also enough field to work with so they can work the clock and get the commanders use the timeouts a little bit why is he getting greedy catch the ball you get you get down you stay down why are you getting greedy and trying to bite off more than you can chew and he gifts the commanders of possession fumbles the football away commanders get the ball back and that was get the ball back work the clock a little bit and that was all she wrote all she wrote that the hurts interception of double coverage was dumb and that fumble in particularly was 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 the worst they got a bad break they got a bad break on the one with uh 914 to go in the uh they got a bad break with one they got a bad break with one early in the game uh about a, the drive or so before that but they but the the second one is just no excuse for that none just go down don't get greedy just go down and uh now the now the, the Titans or excuse me the Eagles look like they might not have God for a little bit of a for a little while so things all of a sudden they're not looking bleak and I wouldn't exactly you know say all oh, the sky is falling for the Eagles then yeah this is the loss that the Eagles needed to needed to have happen to them and this is the the uh, potential wake up call that they needed uh that 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 could possibly get them over the top this this is this is something that they that they that that they needed. This was this was this was medicine that the Eagles had to take, because it, they were going to do themselves no favors, you know, shucking and jiving and lucking out of every single win, you know. But yeah, we're undefeated, and then they overlooked the small little minute details without having without having that feeling of we lost the game. We don't like the feeling of losing. Let's do everything we can in the next week of preparation to make sure we don't lose again. They needed that. They needed that. And it's almost like, especially in this day and age in the NFL, that, you know, going after, like, you reach about, like, say, six or seven wins, you know, you, you, you go winless in the first two months of the season. It's more at this point, and especially with with the 17th, uh, with, in 2022 NFL football, you have the 17th, the extra game. It's like after you get the fifteenth or the or excuse me, you get the fifth or the sixth win out of the way. It's more or less going undefeated. Essentially, after the last weekend in October, is more of a is more of a curse, backhanded curse, than it is a blessing. Because that anxiety of here the undefeated season, rumblings of that, walking on eggshells, all nervous and tense as hell about scared to lose another game. It's just I don't know. And of course, who wouldn't want their team to go undefeated, be undefeated Super Bowl champion? But the chance of it happening now, 17 game regular season, if you don't get the one, and if you, well, if you win undefeated, you obviously get the one seed. But having to win, uh, but having to win 20 games to be an undefeated Super Bowl champion, I mean, that 20 games in a row without a loss, the way that the, how competitive and topsy turvy and unpredictable this league is. Asking an awful lot. So this potentially could be a blessing in disguise for the Eagles, a loss they had to have. Thought that the commanders were just going to commander all over the field and just, and you know, Heineke was going to throw interceptions left and right, which he did, which I thought was end up going to be the tide turning in the game. And it turns out not being the case. Heineke threw the interception and the Eagles give, gave the ball right back with the, gave the ball right back with the fumble that shouldn't have been. 
Uh, but they anticipated the commanders on collapsing, and they never did. They stuck to the game plan, stuck to their guns, and were and were not intimidated by the Eagles on any circumstances. The com- there's only been four 8-0 or better teams in the Super Bowl era that have lost a home game to a team that entered the game with the losing record. Ron Rivera and his Washington team have done it twice in the last two years. Monday night and in 2020 against the then undefeated Pittsburgh Steelers. And that also largest upset win in the Super Bowl era. Washington was 11-point underdogs in the game. I want nothing. And one last thing just to... Uh, drive the Russell Wilson's wash point home. I know I'm all over the place, but 28th in the league in passer rating. Russell Wilson, washed. Washed. And if you're Brandon Graham, you got to have a little bit better on. He's a vet, one of the longest tenured players on that team, veteran Super Bowl champion. He's got to have a, a little bit better on-field awareness and better discipline than... Hitting Tyler, then hitting Taylor Huntley with leading with his head and his shoulder when when uh, when he, when Heineke gave himself up and was already touched down by 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 his teammate. Touched down, he gave himself up, touched down by an Eagle teammate. Meanwhile, Brandon Graham still running in, coming in a hundred miles an hour, and slowly eases up. But but there was so much time in between Heineke giving himself up while being touched down in the process. So much time between that and Graham charging in that, albeit it looks bad and you don't want to have essentially the game put on ice because of a uh, unnecessary roughness or a rough in the passing penalty. But Graham knows the rules. Uh, you can't put, you cannot, uh, I say it all the time, you cannot, especially when you're either dealing with bad officiating or dubious rules and or both. You can't leave a tight game like that in the hands of the officials to throw the flag and make the call. You just can't. That that is that is on Brandon Graham. Veteran, been long enough Super Bowl champion. He's he's gotta know better than that. Took a full three steps. He had plenty of time to, to catch himself or or to, or to stop running or just not even bother going towards Heineke. Gave himself up on the third and seven was touchdown. And he comes in, charging in, and nicks him great, gently, nicks him, hits him with his helmet. Heineke kind of pulls a little bit of an acting job, flops, and draws the flag. And you also got to throw the blame on uh, Sirianni, the coach. If you're not coaching it, you're condoning it. And his team looked unsloppy, or excuse me, his team looked sloppy and undisciplined in back-to-back games. And the second time, he came back to bite him in the ass. And Jonathan Gannon stuck in uh, stuck in zone defense all night long, allowing uh, Terry McLaurin to look like Santana Moss. And only one first half carry for Miles Sanders. You couldn't be more one dimensional, guys. But hey, the Eagles will learn from it. Take a break. Preview the Thursday night football game coming up to close out the show. This is the Amtelecatelius podcast. You welcome you back to the I'm Tell Like I Tell You Is podcast. Just a little housekeeping notes here for you. Coming up on a Friday show, we will have the one and only YouTuber legend Urinating Tree on to talk NFL with us, uh, see where his thoughts are within the league at this a little after the season's halfway point. 
hear his thoughts on his Pittsburgh Steelers, and we will both preview this Sunday's upcoming match between his Pittsburgh Steelers and my Cincinnati Bengals. I want to get his thoughts on some other things uh, as far as Week 11 in the league is concerned. We got uh, dot. We got Cowboys and Vikings, and a Chiefs uh, Chargers Sunday night game, and a uh, and also be the day after Tennessee and Green Bay. So we'll get his thoughts on that, and a little bit of a uh, baseball uh, as well. Get his thoughts on the uh, Astros winning the uh, World Series about two weeks ago. Uh, but where we will end the show uh, with uh, is with the NFL. And uh, the uh, Thursday night game coming up between uh, the Tennessee Titans and the Green Bay Packers at Lambeau Field in about two days' time. Uh, this is a game, the Packers coming into this game, 4-6 and six record, Tennessee Titans at 6-3. and three. Uh, Tennessee holds tiebreaker over Indianapolis. Green Bay is at 4-6. and six. Still a lot of ground to make up if they anticipate a ridiculous collapse on the part of the Minnesota Vikings in the second half. Um, the Green Bay Packers, their game plan to the, you know, who's going to, who can outrush who can the Green Bay Packers defense find a way to stop Derrick Henry. You look and see how the Packers defense did against, uh, against Dallas, uh, and their, and their rushing attack on Sunday allowed Tony Powder to run for 115 yards on the ground, 22 carries and ran for a touchdown. Dallas as a team ran for a buck 59 on the ground on 31 rushing attempts. So I'm very intrigued to see if the Dow- if the Green Bay Packers uh, defense will uh, will be able to shut down the uh, will be able to shut down uh, Derrick Henry and the crew who know one thing and their game plan is going to be clear as uh, as fresh spring water. Clear as fresh spring water. That's run the football down the Green Bay Packers' throats and keep Aaron Rodgers on the sideline as much as they for as long and as frequent as they possibly can. That was the that was the Commanders' game plan with the Eagles last night. Keep Justin Field, keep excuse me, uh, Jalen Hurts on the sideline as long as possible. Pound the rock, control the clock, and rule time of possession. That's going to be and they got and they got the Titans wide receivers can't catch and they got a murky quarterback situation. So, in Titans game is going to be simple. Derrick Henry is going to run us to victory and count on the Green Bay Packers uh offense that we've seen with the went with their uh performance against the Cowboys on Sunday notwithstanding and count on the substandard Green Bay Packers defense which we've seen uh Nine out of the nine out of the ten games this year count count on that Packers offense showing up and have Derrick Henry control the clock and run the Packers defense out uh, out of Lambeau Field on Thursday night, and then on the Tennessee Titans side of things, how are they able to manage? Uh, stopping the Green Bay Packers run, Green Bay Packers Green Bay Packers run game in turn. They ran the football very well. ran ran for 207 rushing yards on a Sunday afternoon and had a very good uh, night running the football two weeks ago against Buffalo. Uh, so the Packers are starting to run football a little bit more freak, a little bit better and a little and a little bit and, a, and with some added consistency. How will the Tennessee Titans uh, defense stack up against Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon? that two-headed monster rushing attack. They had an excellent job of stopping the run on the part of the Denver Broncos on Sunday, which I read to you earlier in the show. And uh, 
Excuse me. And if uh, and if the game was on the line, you know, 13-7 game, 13 13-13, 10-10, 10-7, 17-10, uh, or 14-6, or with the game on the line late in the, late in the game in the fourth quarter, will Ryan Tannehill, will he be able to make a couple of throws and, and, and outduel Aaron Rodgers in the clutch to get Tennessee home? And more importantly, will the Tennessee Titans wide receivers be able to catch? Because they they had a, a a day to forget at the office against the Denver Broncos on Sunday. Drop passes left and right all over the place. So will Ryan Tannehill, if the game is on the line, be able to make a couple make a few throws to win the game to put Tennessee out in front? How well will Derrick Henry run up against the Green Bay Packers defensive front? which gave up uh, 115 rushing yards to Tony Pollard on Sunday. How in turn will the Titans defense do against the run? Green Bay's been able to establish themselves in the run game two out of the last three games. And will we see the Green Bay Packers offensive success from Sunday carry over to the game on Thursday night? Short week, back-to-back home games for Green Bay, which is a plus. Don't have to worry about the travel. Tennessee does. There's always something to look out for. Uh, and we will see how the uh, how the, if Green Bay is able to put the be able to win two games in five days after the long uh, losing streak, improve the four and two at home at Lambeau Field this season, and only be uh, and only be uh, one game under five hundred heading into uh, heading into the bye with a ten day layoff before they hit the road and play Philadelphia, and then if Tennessee. Can they keep? Can they keep the uh, iron hot with the AFC South? Uh, they have a uh, six and three record. Can they make it seven and three and essentially wrap and essentially all but wrap up the AFC South and put some good distance between them and Indianapolis? That remains to be seen. The Brooklyn Nets hired uh, Jacques Vaughn, by the way, and stayed away from uh, Ime Udoka, which I thought was to be the right decision. Too much controversy, too much uh, th- too much of a distraction, as if the Nets have enough distractions, too much distractions and too much uh, just uh, just un- un- unneeded foolishness if you would have brought in uh, Udoka, uh, brought him from the Celtics and brought him in, and brought him to uh, coach the Brooklyn Nets. He just a would have been a bad look, and B just would have been just too, you got enough distractions as is with Simmons and his and him not playing and and this whole fiasco with Kyrie Irving. You just need a low key guy in house that knows what the hell he's doing, and just you just they need an adult in the room. Long story short, they need an adult in the room. And with Vaughn, hopefully they get. Hopefully they get it. Uh, the Nets are in Sacramento tonight. Have a six. They have a six and eight record. Just to go through the first uh, f- through the first few games uh, of their uh, season, they lost on Sunday night to the uh, Lakers by thirteen points, one sixteen, one hundred three. And this is after they won. They had won back to back games against the Knicks. And the Clip and Knicks and Clippers last Wednesday and on Saturday night. So we will see how the uh, how the Nets season goes the rest of the month in November. They got Sacramento tonight. And they're at Portland on Thursday night, and then they're back home on the East Coast against uh, Memphis on a Sunday uh, on Sunday uh, November the twentieth. So we shall see what the Brooklyn Nets. 
And we will have Urinating Tree for you on Friday in another episode of the I'm Tell Like It Another episode of the I'm Tell It Like It is podcast is in the books. If you like what you heard and are new to the program, please do not hesitate to subscribe. Follow your boy on social media, Twitter at the J Shield, Instagram as well at the J Shield, the show on Instagram at I'm Telling underscore podcast, and the show on Twitter. At Amatel underscore it T-I-S. Your boy will be on the Wednesday night tailgate with Michael Ruick and uh, Anthony Zavala on Spotify Live at 645 on Wednesday. So don't be afraid to check yours truly out. I'll talk to you Friday. See you.